So um, looking at our notes, pastor went long today. He always does. Um, so I cut my time. <laughs> so, and you got a lot of notes. And I knew this when we were getting in there. There's a lot of notes. And, and so I have a tendency to, um, I'm going to have to go kind of rough through the notes. So um, the good news is that the notes are very self-explanatory because, you know, we got to just kind of big, large points. And, and that's all we're talking about, the notes. And so when you, you'll know the point, but then we'll just be filling in the gap in regards to, um, to the notes. So um, we'll see if um, we'll see how fast we get. We'll not go too fast as we go through them. So meet with God after sin. One of the most important things we can possibly do is meet with God after sin. Is because Satan is always trying to pull you away from God, and the number one thing he uses to pull you away from God is what? Is sin. You, you know, if you if you if you get a hold of sin. What's going to happen is that that's where we're starting to go a direction away from God. Because then Satan starts to load it on. You can't go towards God. You shouldn't have done this. And then we start to think in our mind, why would God forgive me again? And why would God forgive me again? And, and then we start using the math. And then we finally say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm going to get rid of my conscience. And, and then if I just rid of my conscience, accept the sin, then it's going to be all right. Um, you know, just a lot of things go on uh, when sin takes place. So you'll see that in the notes I even skipped because I even um, had another one. We're going to do meet with God through the church, but I'm using this one instead because I believe that it's a, a extremely important one. So just kind of look at the sin aspect. Number one, there are two kinds of sin: the act of sin and the dominion of sin. So when you hear these words "sin," you hear some aggressive passages that come in the Bible, and uh, and I just want to read you know some of these um, aggressive passages going one way or the other because we don't understand this this concept of sin first john 3 6 uh, says no one who lives in him keeps on sinning no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him now we read that and you're like going i'm going to hell (laughs) i'm sorry that's the way we read that i'm going no one who lives in him keeps on sinning do you sin do I sin? Yes. Do we keep on sinning? Is tomorrow going to be the day that you don't sin? It's going to have to be tomorrow because you've already sinned today. Then you sinned yesterday and you sinned the other day. So is tomorrow going to be the day? You're going to find out that tomorrow's not the day either. So you read these aggressive passages and it's like, I, what, what, what's going on? I just, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm lost. I cannot do it. First uh, John 3, 7 says, He who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. Oh, another passage right on top of me. It just wipes me out. First John 3, 9 through 10. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know that the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. These are passages that, that condemn us and have also built entire religions. Wesleyan, what is Wesleyan religion based on? Sanctification, one day you can be perfect. And we need to, we need to work towards being perfect. But don't come to church because if you come to church, you're defeated. I'm defeated. You're defeated. We're wiped out because of these aggressive verses. 
So I want to break these two things in of the act of sin and the dominion of sin. So look at the act of sin, just describing it. The act of sin is where a Christian falls into sin. I'll just say it. Something you do every day. Just say it. Something you do every day is something I do every day. We sin. Here's a verse that I had one person say, this is the only verse I understand in the entire Bible. I don't understand any other verses except this one. Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, not want to do, I keep on doing. (laughs) I mean, oh, can you relate? And I relate, yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's just this thing that just, I don't want to do it, but that I'm doing it, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing it. I, I've got to stop. This is called the act of sin. You're going to do it tomorrow. And if you think you're not going to do it, pride is going to brew inside of you, and then you just did it. <laughs> as soon as pride brews inside of you. That's just, that's just what's going to happen. It's called the act of sin. Now, the dominion of sin is what we're not familiar, as much familiar with, but it gives us an understanding. The dominion of sin is where a person, believer, embraces sin as their Lord. This is why this message is so important. Is we're supposed to meet with God after sin. God, please forgive me. God, I am sorry. That's what you're supposed to do. Because this dominion of sin is designed to grip you, grab a hold of you, rule you and make you just give you um um an example of what i mean in regards to the dominion of sin is that i'm going to brace it rather than god i know that this is wrong but i don't care now god doesn't like that so what does he do he disciplines you is that correct (laughs) you've been disciplined (laughs) you've been disciplined all the time that means you're a child what else does god do he convicts you what he's doing, he's pulling you back. So as soon as you do it, you're like getting pulled back to God. But the dominion of sin is like, God, I am done getting pulled back. God, I've changed my philosophy. My philosophy is I can do this when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and I'm going to take your word and I'm going to make it right. And my conscience is going to be severed because I don't want it anymore. And that's how we make our conscience severed. Is we try to convince God that, that he's wrong and, and, and that we're right. Um, an example to that is that I had somebody that, um, and I, I use this sin. I just want to say it is a sin. It's not an identity. It is a sin. But I had somebody uh, come to my office, and, uh, and they wanted me to tell them that homosexuality was not a sin. Just tell me that it's not a sin. That's all, that's, that's all I want. Because then if I... I mean, this is the way they looked at it, and I disagree with them. If I, as a pastor, says it's not a sin, then maybe it's okay. You know, it, it can relieve some pressure. So they only came to my office just so I would say, it's not. You're born that way. It's, it's, it's okay. You know, that's, that's what they wanted. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them that. And it would just be over and over and over in this conversation. I, I can't tell you that it's not a sin. And he goes, well, I disagree with you and because he didn't get it from me and he says you know i'm you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna be a christian and it's gonna work and i said to him i said if you go that direction probably never see you in church again 
probably not open that Bible again. I doubt you'll be going to worship and really enjoying God in the process of worship. And the reason why is because you chose something more than God. When you just say, this is it, all of a sudden it's, your, it's a domain over you. It is it. And if that is it, and the Bible is contradictory, you've got to get rid of one. You've got to get rid of the sin, you've got to get rid of the Bible. And if you can convince yourself that it's okay, even when you know it's completely not okay, the, you can hate the word. And you will hate any church that will talk about the sin as being sin. You'll, you'll hate it. it will, no, I don't want to hear that. It's not. No, it's, it's, it's something else. What they're doing, we're pushing this sin out to say that it is not. And what it's doing is grabbing a hold of you, having a dominion over you, where you know how, you've now bowed literally to another God. You bowed to it instead of the God who said, don't do it. Romans 6, 16 says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either the sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. It owns you. It rules you. It makes you. The greatest example that we um, have in the Bible in regards to a sin that is being ruled is um, Judas Iscariot. So Judas Iscariot listened to every single one of Jesus' sermons. You can almost say that. I mean, he was a disciple. The disciples were there. They listened to all of Jesus' sermons. Judas Iscariot went to the streets and gave the gospel to people. Because it says Jesus sent his disciples to go to give the gospel. Jesus sent the disciples to proclaim his name. So the disciples went out. The disciples prayed. The disciples worked. Judas Iscariot was a disciple in the Bible that held a spot. Was Jesus his God? Well, he had this one thing that was in between him and Jesus. And do you know what it was? It was money. It was money. He was the, the keeper of the money. And as a result of being the keeper of the money, he would uh, break into temptation and put a little bit in his pocket when it was time. Now, Jesus brought some money in. <laughs> he did. I mean, he's doing miracles. I mean, he's being taken care of. He's brought some money in, and he's bringing money in. The keeper of the money started stashing the money. As he stashed the money, all of a sudden, it became his God. How do you know it became his God? Is because he was tested. Mary walks in with oil and anoints Jesus and just dumps it over his head, and all this just falls to the ground. I forgot the number of denaries that it was worth, but I know I've calculated before it was $30,000 back in those times. $30,000 dumped over his head. Well, what are you doing? You're dumping it over the head of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, anointing him for this burial. And the disciples, they didn't have an issue with it, but Judas had an issue with it. Why? Because they just took Judas's God money and they dumped it over Jesus's head. And he popped. Because <laughs> Jesus wasn't his king. Jesus wasn't his Lord. He let the sin rule him, and a dominion took over him, and that when he was tempted, he sold his God. Or he, not, he didn't, he's not going to sell his God. He's going to sell the other one. So he doesn't sell his God, which is money. He sells the other one. For what? For money. What happens, that's a domain of sin, where it's your king, where it's your 
where it's your Lord, where it's your master. Now you can look at the verses in, in, in First John. Those who keep on sinning are from the devil. I mean, that's those aggressive verses. What those verses are talking about is the domain of sin. He's pushing you. For, ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Go to God and beg for mercy. Go to God and ask, and he will forgive you every single time. How many people are not even going to get into heaven as a result of, I can't keep going back to God. I can't keep going back to God because he won't forgive me because uh, I, I do it too much. And they get all down on themselves and they just go away and, and they, they, they throw God away. See, this is the way God designed it. God knows I won't put it on you. God knows I'm a loser. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll say it to you too. God knows you're a loser too. <laughs> he knows that we're sinners. And he knows we're going to mess up. But when we take our sin and we bring it to the forefront of God, what do you taste? And what should you taste? You should taste his mercy all over again. If you do it over and over and over again, you keep coming back, you keep coming back, and you keep fighting that, you should taste his mercy every single time to see who exactly God is and the mercy that he has. Um, you can take this comment wrong, but uh, um, I hold on to it, it, it right. Um, an act of sin that makes you humble is better than a righteous act that makes you proud. An act of sin that humbles you is better than the righteous sin that makes you proud. Why would that be? Because a righteous sin that makes you proud makes elevated that I'm the king of kings, I'm the lord of lords, and he's not. We are sinners. And as a result of that, we feast on mercy. And that's what we should be doing is feasting on mercy. And every time we feast on mercy, we're meeting again at the cross. We're meeting again with God. There's not a domain over us that's ruling us like it was ruling over, over Judas Iscariot. There is a consistent taste of the glory of God when we go to mercy. So I just want to give you some of these fasts. I'm going to go through these fasts because um, it just kind of says it over and over and over. You need to understand these two things. For A, the act of sin. A Christian resists sin but falls, often too weak. I'm not trying to justify sin. I'm just trying to say (laughs) you're going to sin tomorrow. That's just what's going to take place. So you try to resist. I'm going to be perfect today. And then you still... Fell. That's what an act of sin. For B, the dominion of sin, we're going through these fasts, sorry. The dominion of sin is when a person yields up himself to the will and the power of another. That's when you yield up yourself. I've given this thing authority over my life over than anything else. And then when you are tempted, like Judas was tempted, you sell God before you sell it. You get rid of God before you get rid of it. You've embraced a new king. 5a. In the act of sin, a Christian has hatred, dislike, conflict, weariness, trouble, and a desire to be free. Often you'll hear me talk about we have to fight 
sin. What do I mean by fight sin? There has to be this emotional thing, a dislike, a hatred. I want to hate. I pray to hate. I, I pray to dislike. There's a conflict that takes place called a conscience, a weariness, a trouble, a desire. I want to be free and I'm not free because it's, it's in me and I've got to get it out of me and I've got to, I've got to stop. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit testifying everything that Jesus has given you. Everything that he's done. It's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, you're a sinner. But I came to do what? Save the sinner, not the perfect. Number five, B, the dominion of sin is a person who is content, delights, and tries to find rest. I'm going to get my glasses and you're filling out those notes. It's all self-explanatory, so we'll move to six. In the act of sin, a Christian fights his conscience, breaks in prayer, and comes to Christ to be washed. And you constantly have that conflict. I can't go back again because I sin. The challenge is, go back. Number six, in the dominion of sin, a person is uncontrolled, runs free, and totally resigns, gives up himself to the lusts, will, and the commands of sin. This is a concept that so many people Need and the world needs to understand. And the, the reason why the world needs to understand it is, is that I grew up in a home where my father and my mother were together all the way through. They were married for almost 50 years and during that process. So I grew up in a home. Um, I grew up in the church um, as well. And, um, and as I grew up in the church, yes, you know, yes, I had years that were wild years and, and I came back to God in this process, but but in this whole time, I was, I was taken care of, you know, just these kind of pieces. There's people growing up in the home that have split parents. There's people growing up in the home that have, are abused, horrifically abused. There's people growing up in the home that are viewing pornography as soon as their eyes can see. They're being sexually molested. They're being beaten. They have no security whatsoever. And then they're walking into school and, and they're just trying to survive. And how do they f- survive? Is they fight because that's what's going on inside of them. There's people in the home that as soon as they're 10 years old and they can get a hold of drugs, it at least separates them from what they're living in. And then when they're 15, then they're addicted to drugs. Then they're thinking, well, I've got to have sex with anybody I can have sex with. And then all of a sudden they're 25 years old and they're an absolute disaster. And they have no hope. But all of a sudden they find Jesus. And when they find Jesus, it's like, God saved me from my sin. He did. Washed him completely away. And he has a power to break addictions. He has a power to heal hurt. He has a power to overcome all the garbage that's inside of you as a result of your past. But it's not easy and it's also a process. And they might come to church and they might pray. And as they're praying, they might cuss. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, I forgot. Because they, they got all this garbage that is inside. 
I look at that person and I look at me. Do I compare me to that person? Well, that person needs to act like me. That person needs to be like, this is when it starts talking about the talents. Given two talents, given three talents, given four talents, given five talents. You know, I, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I have five talents. <laughs> I have three just because I'm in America. That just gives me three talents right there. I mean, that actually probably boosts me four just because, you know, I, I've, I have a family that has been together. It's nothing to do with me, but I have a family that's been together. That will push me to four. I, I grew up in the church. That's, I mean, that's all this responsibility starts pushing me up to now I have to be responsible different than that person because that person has two talents. Born and raised in a horrific environment. But what we do is we compare. You, you gotta look, you gotta look like me. No, that person doesn't end up looking like you. Yeah, that person will walk towards Christ in his life. What's interesting is that at the very end, God judges those with the talents. And he casts judgment only on one person. And who was that one person? The person that had the one talent and hid it because he didn't want to lose it. But the same thing that God said to the person with five talents is the same thing that God said to the person with two talents. Meaning, they're blessed the same. See, so when it comes to this, this sin and this fight for sin, the topic is, are you going to fall to your knees and ask for forgiveness? That's it. No matter what it is. Are you going to fall to your knees and ask for forgiveness? Are you going to God as a result of the sin? People with five talents often don't go to God and, and say, you know, God, I need to forgive my sin. No, you people with, five, people with five talents, oh my goodness, if only people could be righteous like me. People with five talents could be messed up even more than people with two. person that's at the foot of the cross begging for forgiveness consistently in a result of their sin, that's the contrite, broken spirit that God is looking for. Number seven, sin might overcome a Christian but does not have dominion over him. I like to um, put these two together. Judas Iscariot and Peter, they did the same thing. Judas Iscariot did what? They sold, he sold God. He just (laughs) sold God for, sold God for money. Peter did the same thing. What did he sell God? He sold God for his image. But I mean, it's like, do I know him? Well, no, 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 no. I don't know God. And he said it three different times. No, I, I don't have anything to do with him. No, don't, don't do anything to me. Don't make me associated with him. He denied him three different times. You have two massive sinners there, Peter and you have Judas. I ask you a question. What did Judas do as a sin? Well, he didn't confess. He just went out and hung himself. What did Peter do with his sin? He fell before the Lord, broken person. He's used. As a result of him falling before the Lord, and that's the power of God with the broken person to be used highly and powerfully. It's just a result of what you're doing with your sin, and the dominion over it will take you over. Um, yeah, I'll just read Romans six fourteen. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Do not let it rule you. Jeremiah thirty two forty. I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I'll put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So here's our challenge. I want to move from these two. You have, you have the dominion of sin, you also have the act of sin. What should you do as a believer? <laughs> You're supposed to fight the act. Fight the act. 
And when you're fighting the act, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to fight it at the foot of the cross. Don't fight it in your mind. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness anymore. I'm just going to try to get it to stop so I can go to God and look good. That's not the way you do it. You go right to the foot of the cross, and you fight it right there at the foot of the cross. So how do you do that? Number eight, meet with God after sin through prayer and confession. Every time you sin, the only place you should go is to God. And you're going to say this a thousand times in your head. I've done it too many times. I, 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 I can't, I keep on messing up. I, I, gotta, I, I have to stop and I'm not stopping. Well, the way to keep on stopping is to keep on going back. Keep on going back. Keep on going back. What is confession of sin? I just put Psalms 51, 1 through 19. Um, I have enough time to read this, but um, this is just going to show you how to confess. And I just want to say before I even read Psalms 51, um, this is King David who put this passage in here. He is confessing to what? He is confessing because he was not in battle with all of his other troops. He was at home all by himself. And he looks out the window and he sees a naked lady bathing. Name was Bathsheba. So he tells his servants, go get her. In other words, I want her. I said, oh, this guy's a Christian? Yeah, he said, go get her, I want her. So they get her and they, they bring her up and he has, commits adultery. As he commits, after he commits adultery, she becomes pregnant. And um, as she's pregnant, he's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be found out. So what does he do? He tries to cover his sin. And the way he covers it is he tries to get her husband from the battlefield back home and get him in her bed so nobody will know that it's his child. I mean, that's pretty twisted, don't you think? No, he does it. Brings her back and says, go sleep with your wife. And the soldier says, Uriah says, no. He says, I have all these people on the battlefield where I should be. Master, if you want me here, I will be here, but I will be with you. And I will not go to my wife because they don't get to go to their wife. This is a solid man, solid commitment. So he does it. He stays there. Well, David gives him drink. He gives him everything. Get, get to your wife. Get to your wife. And the guy, Uriah, is sleeping at the door. He found, David finds out that he cannot get this guy to go sleep with his wife. So he, he writes a letter to the general. And he writes a letter, and he gives it to Uriah. And that letter was his death sentence. It said, he's carrying this letter to him. And that letter says, put Uriah out into the front. And as soon as he's in the front line, pull all your resources back so the enemy kills him. That's murder. I mean, that's, that's murder. It's exactly what David does. And then David just kind of lives till he's confronted by Nathan. And when he's confronted by Nathan, his heart just pours out before God in confession. Because God just stuck him with a conscience. And this confession that he gives, I would just even say is a model of a confession that we can give back to God. Let's look at this confession in Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to the steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in, the sight of, in your sight so that you may be justified in words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquities and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness. O God, O God, my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud with your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. This is the sacrifices to God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasures. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in righteous sacrifices. In burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bowls will be offered on your altar. What does David do? Number nine. First of all, he took full responsibility of his sin. He doesn't justify his sin. He doesn't say, I did it, but. I did it, but haven't you seen my history, God? I did it, but. attempt. There's no, he just says it. For I know my transgressions regressions, and my sins are ever before me. They are there. Not justified, not watered down. That's what they are. Number 10, take full responsibility. If you're going to use this passage, see your sin as God sees it. If you're going to confess, take full responsibility. I did it. And then see your sin as God sees it. How does God see it? You find this in verse 4. David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Is that a true statement? No, he sinned against Bathsheba. He also sinned against against Uriah. He sinned against everybody. But in this passage, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. What's What's he saying? What's the statement that is coming out? He's recognizing the severity of the person he sinned against. People suffered, but the severity of who he's sinning against is what makes you go, I cannot do this again. I cannot do this again. This is not acceptable of who I sin against. Who do you sin against? I mean, this is the Old Testament. Talk about the Ark of the Covenant, and you have the mercy seat, and he's the one that brought it in. But as you're looking at this mercy seat, the blood is coming, so he knows exactly what he's sinning against. Sinning against the God who will bleed for you. Brought things in perspective. The perspective that God had in regards to what you're doing when sinning. Number 11, if you're going to confess your sin, mourn your sin. Psalms 51, 5-6, through Behold, I was brought forth in iniquities, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret place. 
Number 12, when you confess your sin, hate your sin. One way to, to hate your sin, one way to even fight against your sin, is to replace your sin with something better. To replace your sin with something better. See, because what sin is, sin is this, this taste of something that's really good. And so what happens, you'll taste of something that's really good, and then it goes bitter in your, in your belly. It goes bitter in your life. You taste something really good and no longer have a wife. You taste something really good and you no longer have children. They're all rebellious. You taste something really good and you no longer have money. You taste something really good and you no longer have a life. And that's what sin is. You taste it and it looks, you, you, you think it's good. Replace it. Don't say I'm not going to do it, but replace it with a taste that is better. With a taste that is better. What's better? You got the bread. You got the blood. Jesus dying for you. You have a king of kings. You have a Lord of lords that wants to put your family together. That wants to put your relationships together. That wants to put your life together. The one that makes you the best employee you can possibly be in the world. This is the God who wants to do everything for you. It's not going to be immediate like some rush of sin. But it's going to be glorious. It's going to be strong. It's going to be rich. It's going to be powerful. Don't say, I'm not going to do. Say, I am going to do. I'm going to love God even more. In the process, when you do that, hate the thing that destroys you. Hate, grow to hate. Pray to hate the thing that destroys you. Psalm 51, 14 says, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God, my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Deliver me from blood guiltness. I want none of that anymore in my life. Did David get punished for his sin? Yes. I mean, if you look at his kingship, it kind of went downhill from there. It went up again, kind of towards the end. But it went down from that horrific sin that took place. Well, that's God. God's going to say, yeah, you're, you're going to pay the price. You're going to be punished. But David was a man after God's own heart because he kept going to God. And even inside the punishment, he would still not throw God away. He even understood it. I know why this has taken place. Why? Because I did something absolutely horrific. And as I did something half, half, absolutely horrific, yes, God is going to punish me, but I'm all right with that because I still have God. So when we're looking at sin, you know, I've talked about prayer journal and I uh, gave the prayer journal out. And um, just when you sin, I just have, um, this is broken up in, the, in Psalms uh, 51. And uh, it's just putting again, Scripture in first person. It worked for David for having an adultery. It worked for David for murder. You know, it works for me as well. So when we sin, where should you go? Go right, go right here. Psalms 51. God, please have mercy on me. It was David's first statement. If it was his first statement, and I see his trajectory of a man after God's own heart, I want it to be yours. God, please blot out my transgressions. We see that in Verse 1, God, please wash away all my iniquities. It's not only the thing that I did, but wash away all that I do. God, please cleanse me from my sin. These are just commands through this passage. God, please teach me wisdom in the utmost place. God, please cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. What's hyssop? Hyssop is a branch. It's a branch that they would dip in blood and put on the Ark of the Covenant. 
That's how the blood got sprinkled in the Ark of the Covenant. You grab the blood, dip the blood, and then you take the hyssop bush and you dip it, the priest would dip it on the Ark of the Covenant. Hyssop bush is also the one that when Jesus said, I thirst, they dipped it in vinegar and on a hyssop bush because it soaks up and they gave it to him through that. David uses it here in his passage. Cleanse me with hyssop. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about the Ark of the Covenant. He's thinking about the Ark of the Covenant. This is the ultimate promise. This bush was used. Cleans me this way. Just puts it culture perspective. Because I know that if you do, then I will be clean. God, please wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. God, please create in me a pure heart. God, please renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, please do not cast me away from your presence. Please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. God, please restore to me the joy of your salvation. And please sustain me with a willing spirit. God, please save me from blood guiltness. Please open my lips and my mouth and declare your praise. Please break my spirit. Please create in me a broken and contrite heart. Look at all this confession. The very last one. God, please create in me a broken and contrite heart. What does that mean? It means never let me go away and think I'm anybody. Don't let me ever go away and grab a dominion that is over me, that is going to rule me, that's going to send me, that is going to move me, that is going to make me, that is not you. Therefore, I'm coming to you. Break me. Help me to always have that contrite heart. It's a confession that David prayed. It's a confession I believe we can hang on to as well in prayer. And I challenge that when you know that sin has come in again and the act of sin is there, go to the cross and even just pray this.